this could be my favorite book of the year, but if it ends in cannibalism, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, the book lovers podcast from the Port Moody Public Library. My name is Sadie, and I am here with my book friends, Al, Emma, Virginia, and Kareen. And we are back this week to complete our most anticipated books of the beginning of 2024 episode. So last week, if you tuned in, you heard three of each of our books that we are looking forward to that are going to be coming out in the first four months of 2024. And today we're going to bring you another two books each. But before we get into our book selection, we're going to pose our existential question. It's a broader existential question today. We're simply asking our book friends, what is one thing that is not book related that you are looking forward to in 2024? I can go first since I have an answer. Um, I feel very lucky, very blessed enough that I was able to snag the coveted Eros Tour tickets for when Taylor Swift comes to Vancouver. The show is not until December 2024, so I have an entire year to wait for it. But <laughs> Kareem's laughing at me. But I am so, so, so excited to see her. I A bunch of people I know from high school went to her shows when she toured in the U.S. And I was feeling major FOMO seeing everybody posting about it. So I am very, very psyched. And you don't have to pay for hotel, which is the greatest thing. No, I don't, which is great because hotels cost like $3,000 or something. So I just get to like hop on the SkyTrain, ride two stops and be at the venue. I am really excited. It has been 10 years since I was last in Japan, and I am going back with some friends in March. So I am going to have a fantastic time reconnecting with some friends in Japan, traveling around a bit, and up until then, I'm going to be polishing my Japanese language skills so that I can survive outside of Tokyo. Fair enough. Emma, I was only laughing at you because um, K-pop concerts give you about three weeks to get your act together. Um, they will announce their concert and then you have got like weeks to get that all sorted out. So the idea of having an entire year is hilarious. Taylor's organized. I feel like she has her life planned out for the next decade. So like it was what, like November or October when she released the tour schedule for next year. So she gave us time. Too much time, I would argue. Too much time to sit and stew. You got to be ready. You got to be like decisive if you're a K-pop fan. Um, speaking of which, the thing that I am most looking forward to in the next year is Kim Suk-jin, worldwide handsome himself, finishing his military service and coming back of June 2024. And of course, Hobie is also coming back in a little bit later in December, and that's fine. Um, I have my countdowns on my phone. I can tell it down to the day of how much time I'll be waiting, but I'm very much looking forward to that since all of the members are right now in the military and life is blue and gray, which is the name of a BTS song. So Okay, I'm just going to go before Sadie because mine is a non-answer. I'm sure Sadie has a much better answer. Um, I'm just looking forward to 2023 being over. Like, that's the best thing about 2024, I hope. 
I hope. I'm just going to use this opportunity to sneak some more books in because I know you said non-book, but yeah. you know what? Like I try to pick like debut authors or that I can't mention all the people that I love. So I'm just going to use this opportunity to do that. Emily Austin has a new book coming out called Interesting Facts About Space. Emily Austin, of course, the author of Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead. One of my favorite novels. And it is going to be great because, you know, she does existential Perfect. I think this is like the book for people who are wondering, like, am I a terrible person? This is the book for you. Also, Percival Everett is coming up with a new book called James. It's a retelling of uh, Huckleberry Finn, which I've never read before. But Percival Everett can make everything good. So that is that. And also Knife by Salman Rushdie, um, who's going to be a memoir. I'm going to have to read a nonfiction because it's his book about all these years of having like assassination attempts after assassination attempts. And of course, last year he was attacked. He lost his eye because of that. And so this is sort of his meditation on sort of that whole thing. So which I think would be amazing. So there are some more books for you. Sadie. I was going to say, it wouldn't be an episode of Keep It Fictional if at least one person didn't cheat with at least some part of the episode. So I think that that makes sense. Uh, mine is kind of a non-answer as well, because I don't actually know if it's going to happen, but I am crossing my fingers. I'm looking forward to the idea that maybe Evie is going to get into a Vancouver-based daycare. It has to happen. It has to, has to, has to happen. I've been on wait lists now for almost three years since I was pregnant and it has to happen. So that is what I'm looking forward to is the idea that possibly my daughter is going to get into a daycare that both me and my husband can drop her off at and pick her up from. Um, I was joking when Emma mentioned the Taylor Swift concert that I, I should say that I'm also looking forward to the Rafi concert um, that I haven't decided if we're going to yet. But uh, next, uh, also, Rafi has also released his concert schedule uh, about a year in advance. So well done. Him and Taylor Swift are kind of along the same lines there. Uh, so next uh, November 30th, Evie's birthday, uh, he will uh, he will be playing in Vancouver. Not sure if we're going yet. Haven't decided. So yes, that is two things that I am possibly looking forward to and praying are going to happen. All right. Well, thank you for sharing uh, your most exciting kind of uh I was going to say hopes and dreams, but that's not uh, our most exciting. The word has gone from my mind. Oh, my goodness. Stuff that's upcoming in the next year. Eloquent as always, Sadie. Wonderful. Uh, let's jump over to Emma. Is your fourth book, Emma. All right. Earlier when I was talking about Raised by Wolves, the Grey Wolf Press poetry anthology, I mentioned that um, Danette Smith, one of my favorite poets, is going to be a part of it. A few years ago, when I was living in Minneapolis, I had the pleasure of meeting Denise Smith at a author reading, and they were opening for another author on that author's book tour. And so my next book I'm going to talk about is by the author that Denise was opening for, and he is also an American author. He's kind of both a poet and an essayist. His name is Hanif Abdurraqib, and he's from Columbus, Ohio. After seeing him speak in 2017, I think I can confidently say that this man is the nicest man alive. He just has such, like wonderful, calming presence. He's so like, he's soothing to listen to. He's very fun. He's very engaging, but also just like very, very, very sweet. And so he writes a lot of nonfiction um, and a lot of poetry. And the way he writes nonfiction is kind of in this like lyrical poetic style. It's very, very beautiful stuff. 
a lot of what he's already written are essays on music. The book that I saw him touring was called They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us, came out in 2017, and it features commentaries on artists like Chance the Rapper, Schoolboy Q, Carly Rae Jepsen, My Chemical Romance, Fallout Boy, among many others. So he spans a lot of different musical genres in his work. And another book of his that came out a few years ago is called A Little Devil in America. And this one tells the history of Black art, Black culture, and music by Black artists across decades in America. So a lot of what he's done is mostly about music, a lot of essays, a lot of poetry about music. But his upcoming release, coming out March 26, 2024, that I'm really excited to read, is called There's Always This Year. And this one isn't about music. It's a little bit different. It's kind of a cross between a memoir and a collection of essays that are about basketball. So he's starting to do more of a sports narrative instead of a music narrative. And in this book, Abdurraqib weaves an exploration of success and of what it means to make it with his own musings about his childhood growing up in Columbus, Ohio. So he discusses a lot about his family, about his father, about growing up playing basketball with his father, while also talking about up and coming successful athletes. This is kind of in the era that like people like LeBron James were growing up and becoming known. So there's a lot of different stuff going on here. He discusses the tensions between expectation and excellence and the notion of role models, along with personal and intimate storytelling about his own life and family. And one of the things that I love about Hanif Abdurraqib's work, especially after having the privilege of seeing him speak, is that you can tell just how real he is. He's just like such a real and a really sweet, but a real guy. And he's extremely insightful without being overly pedantic. And he writes essays that kind of read more like poetry. And on top of that, I love books that are about sports. My favorite manga is Haikyuu. I love the book Beartown. And so I'm really, really excited to read There's Always This Year by Hanif Abdurraqib, which is out at the end of March. And I will pass it over to Kareen to hear about her next book. All right. The next one is another one kind of in my wheelhouse. And I feel like there's been a lot of these published recently, which are kind of like, I would say like the hallmark Christmas movie of books. And that's not a slight. That's not a slight because there is a time and a place for those. But it's like lady with high-powered good job, good life in city needs to reinvent herself by being a small business owner of something extremely twee. And I love those things. I eat those up like breakfast. I love them so much. I have read all of them, especially the ones where like Lady Has Hard Time in Life opens bookstore. I could read all of those forever. Like the Jenny Colgan, Days of the Morisaki Bookstore, What You Looking For is in the Library. Virginia, shake your head all you want. These are like classics and they warm my heart. They warm my heart. Are they painfully unrealistic? Yeah. Yeah, they are. So are Hallmark movies and yet we can consume them. Or not, says Virginia. Whatever. So this is one of those. I mean, I don't think I really need to go into the plot because I think you can probably already guess this. But this was a bestseller in Korea that is being translated into English by Shauna Tan. And it is Welcome to the Hyunam Dong Bookshop. And as you can guess, it's about a lady, Youngju, who is burned out. 
She worked very hard to get into the best school. She got married to a seemingly great guy, has a really respectable job. She's doing all the right things. Everything that kind of like society has asked for her, everything her parents have asked for her, she's living the life that she's supposed to be living until, of course, it all falls apart as it's want to do. So, of course, marriage falls apart job kind of turns to ash. And so what's a lady to do? She needs to open a bookstore in a quaint neighborhood in Seoul, of course. And there she will run into a cast of characters from all walks of life who need to teach her something and then be taught in return. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. This book has gotten lovely reviews. Again, it's it's going to tug on those heartstrings. It, that's what that's what these books are here for. And it's kind of like other than of course like the 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 marriage that kind of falls apart and losing your job and losing all sense of self. Other than that, like it's it's lovely and like it's kind of like the life that we all want to lead of like opening our quaint little bookstore, maybe a coffee shop next door, like working with all the little shopkeepers together to do a thing. Anyways, uh, it's coming out in February 2024 and Virginia's going to hate it and I am going to love it. So I am going to throw this over to Sadie. All right. I feel like my next book is, I think all of the books I've talked about today are very much in my uh, my book wheelhouse. And this one uh, is no different. It is a young adult fantasy historical fiction. And Al, you might be interested in this one because it involves vampires. I do enjoy a good vampire book as well. Um, that's not the sole reason why I was drawn to this one, but it... It doesn't hurt. Um, so this is also the, the title is very Sadie. Um, A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal. So this book takes place in White Roaring and follows Arthi Casimir. And Arthi Casimir is a bit of a criminal mastermind and a collector of secrets. She has a prestigious tea room by day that by night transforms into an illegal bloodhouse catering to the vampires that are feared by society. However, her somewhat adventurous, but for the most part, pretty down-to-earth life is changed and threatened when her very establishment is threatened itself. And Arthi is forced to strike a deal, a very unlikely deal, with an alluring adversary, it says. I'm not quite sure what that means. To save it and to save herself. And, of course, she can't do this alone. And so she has to put together a group to help her. A group of misfits coming together. <laughs> I feel like apart from the vampires, I don't know, Virginia, that it's a, I'm sure there's a bit of found family in here as well. Maybe it, it kind of hits on a bunch of people. So, yeah, so Arthi formulates a plan to infiltrate the dark and glittering society of vampires. However, as in these tales, her entire crew might not be on her side. I know, surprise, surprise. And so Arthi has to figure out who she can trust, who is going to betray her, how this heist is going to happen. Uh, not surprising, it does compare this to Libardugo's Six of Crows, kind of that typical heist fantasy novel. Uh, it's dark. It's action-packed. It says it's swoon-worthy. 
I'm not quite sure what that means and in what regard they are talking about, but that's okay. I am excited to find out. I, I don't mind a good Swoon-worthy book, so I'm excited to see what exactly that means. So yeah, so this is A Tempest of Tea. It's coming out February 20th, uh, 2024 by Hafsa Faisal. Let's go over to Virginia, because I'm sure your book will be completely different. Thank you. So the book that I'm going to talk about next, I chose it because of the publisher. So I was looking at sort of what's forthcoming from them. There's this New Directions. And New Directions, of course, the publisher of you know, all of Clarice Lispector's book, also Osamu Dadai's uh, book. I think there's a new one coming out, Self-Portrait. So looking forward to that also. But this one caught my eye. It's coming out in February and it's called Praise Worthy by Alexis Wright. Alexis Wright is the member of the Wanyi Nation near Australia. And I wanted to read it because this is a point of view that I have not encountered yet in books. So I'm sort of looking forward to hearing from somebody an indigenous person living sort of in Australia. She's also a nonfiction writer, considered to be a really, really deep thinker about like these really urgent matters about the legacy of colonialism and sort of the ongoing attacks of indigenous people. So I wanted to, hearing from a different perspective, getting to know this particular author. What I gather about the book is that there's a mysterious cloud and sort of this haze that has come over this small town in the north of Australia. And the town is called Praiseworthy. And this cloud, this haze, has sort of started this catastrophe for their town. And the townspeople are trying to many different things to deal with it. They at first trying to wait for the government to deal with it. And when the government didn't do anything about it, they started to think, okay, well, maybe we can like say that this is one of our tourist attractions, you know, that there's this cloud there. It didn't really get, like, get a lot of attention. So they thought, okay, well, we have to drive it away. Well, why don't we play some, like, classical music to it? Maybe that would get it out of the way. That didn't work. So they decided, okay, well, we're going to have to build a giant hologram scarecrow of the mayor to scare it away. But none of that work. We then move into the story of this particular family who is also trying to make sense of this. And this is the Steele family. We got the father, Cos Steele, who is this like kind of mad visionary. And he decided that donkeys, donkeys is the solution to this all. And while he's trying to like figure all that out, his wife, Dance, is trying to stay away from her husband's and her husband's like mad like scheme. And so she is trying to find a way to get back to China because she can reconnect with her family. One of her sons named Aboriginal Sovereignty because that was the words that his father keeps saying. And so that's how they named the son got into this relationship that is considered illegal according to a lot of the laws. And so he is trying to hide from all of that. And then his brother Tomahawk decided to turn to the internet, turn to the authorities, to the crazy YouTube videos to try to get an answer because he wants to be white, he wants to be powerful, he wants to abandon all his culture. And so this is sort of a, a story that supposedly about, as the Guardian calls it, cruel, unjust, hypocritical, violent characters struggling against cruel, unjust, hypocritical, violent circumstances. And it sounds like um, Alexis Wright is a very well-respected for her work on subject of land, on people, on sovereignty, on law. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to this. And I think, of course, 
what attracted me to the book is that it is supposed to have like really, really pitch black humor. It's satirical, it's funny. It's also, of course, very weird, very surreal, fever, fever dreamlike, of course. And it's got multiple timeline, again, multiple stories all going together. It's like a fable. It's like an allegory. It's trippy. And also it's supposed to have words that explain from the page, which is something I love. Really, really looking forward to reading a book from a group of Indigenous people that I have not really encountered as much in terms of in the writing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So that is uh, Praiseworthy by Alexis Wright. And New Directions is also going to be releasing their first book again. So looking forward to that. This is a huge book. It's like a 600-page book, but apparently it is supposed to be going to be a great, great doorstopper. So looking forward to that. So we are going to turn over to Elle. All right. So... In my wheelhouse as well is sort of secondary world fantasy. And this is one that looks really interesting to me. It is The Dead Cat Tail Assassins by P. Jaylee Clark. So in the city of Talabisi, assassins sworn to the matron of assassins are resurrected with their memories wiped, honed to be the perfect killers. Evine the Eviscerator, which is just such a good name, is one such assassin, and she, like all sworn to the matron, follows three ironclad rules. One, the contract must be just. Two, even the most powerful assassin may only kill the contractee. And three, once you accept the job, you must carry it out. And normally, Evine is able to follow these with no problem. Whether or not the contract is just is above her pay grade. Um, she always kills her target without question, and she's always carried out her job. But on her newest mission, Evine comes face to face with a past she isn't supposed to remember, and that complicates things. So P.J. Lee Clark is a fantastic world builder, and I've read several of his novellas as well as his most recent novel. Um, his Dead Jin universe, named after the novella A Dead Jin in Cairo, is a personal favorite. The alternate history with some magic woven in is such a compelling read. And so this particular novel looks to be his first foray into true secondary world fantasy and seems tailor-made to appeal to me. I love an assassin story, especially one where the assassin picks up some unhelpful feelings along the way. I'm excited to delve into the world of Talabisi and find out more about Avine and her past. The last uh, book that I have to talk about today is very much a departure from the rest of my books. So this one doesn't have much information about it out there yet, so I'll give you what I found. It's called How to Become the Dark Lord and Die Trying by Django Wexler. Davy is stuck in a time loop. She's tried everything to defeat the Dark Lord, rallied humanity to her cause time and again, and yet every time she's failed. Every time she dies somehow, and the time loop starts over again. Now, she's gotten tired of being the hero, of being stuck in this time loop. If the Dark Lord is the one who wins, maybe it's time to become the Dark Lord herself. So I want to preface this by saying that while I haven't read any Django Wexler, his name is familiar to me from his flintlock fantasy series, The Shadow Campaigns, which is one that I've been interested in picking up for a while now. It looks like he's written a lot since then as well, or at least that's what I found when I went to Wikipedia to look up his bibliography, but this seems to be his first more comedic fantasy novel. 
What pulled me to this book was its premise and the fun title. Time loop stories are always fun, and this seems to be a bit of a twist on the genre, with plenty of room for comedy, which after the rest of the books on my list I might need. And yeah, that's what I've got. I think we'll hand it over next to Emma. Okay. So it wouldn't be a conversation about books that I'm excited about without bringing up at least one manga release. Um, and since most of the manga releases that I'm looking forward to are continuations of ongoing series, I wanted to talk instead about a new series that's coming out this spring. So it's not technically brand new because it's a sequel to an acclaimed shoujo manga. But the book that I'm looking forward to is called Kimi ni Todoke From Me to You Soulmate by the mangaka Karu Hoshina. And this is a sequel to the original series, Kimi ni Chidoke, From Me to You, by the same author, which was released from 2005 to 2017. Now, that story is about a high school girl named Sawako, who would often get misunderstood by her classmates and kind of judged by them just because of how she looked. At the beginning, she's unable to make friends. Later, she learns to make friends and is able to come out of her shell a little bit. And those around her gradually realize that she's actually a very sweet and kind-hearted girl, despite being a little bit scary looking because she kind of resembles a character from a horror movie. She starts dating a popular boy named Kazehaya, and the story is mostly about the friendships that she develops and hers and Kazehaya's romance. Now, in this sequel series, Sawako was a high schooler in the original, now she's in university, and she lives with another character from the original manga, her friend named Kurumi. And Kurumi, in the original story, used to be very jealous of Sawako. She also had a crush on Kazehaya. And so this sequel series is about Kurumi kind of coming into her own and finding her own love story while she's away at university. So I loved the original Kimi Nitsudoke series. It's super, super wholesome. It's got a really wholesome take on romance. And it's got a lot of emotional intelligence in it for a shoujo manga, since a lot of the characters' problems are solved just by communicating their feelings with one another. And so I'm really excited to see how the sequel series tells that story or a similar story from a more mature perspective, given that those characters are now adults. So the manga is being published as three volumes. It's already been out in Japan, but the first volume is getting its English translation this spring. So I'm really looking forward to Kimi ni Todoke from Me to You Soulmate, which comes out at the beginning of April. And I'm going to pass it over to Sadie. I want to hear about her last book she's looking forward to. All right. Well, I feel like it wouldn't be a true Keep It Fictional episode without a few cheats in there. So I feel like I know we've already had a couple on this episode. Uh, so I'm going to throw in a couple more because I'm actually going to talk about two books instead of one book. <laughs> but I'm only going to mention one of them. And so I, what I've saved for my final book is the sequels uh, that I am looking forward to. So I have two sequels that I'm really, really, really looking forward to. One is the third book in the Melissa Blair series, um, A Vicious Game. And the other one is the third book in the Bridget Kemmerer series, Destroy the Day. Um, I'm not going to talk about the Melissa Blair one because I'm actually not done the second one yet. And so I, I'm not going to give away anything away to myself more than to everybody else because I don't know how the second one ends yet. So more of just like a mention of A Vicious Game by Melissa Blair in the Halfling Saga. That one comes out February 6th. Okay. Now, Destroy the Day is the third installment. I believe it might be the final installment in the uh, Defy the Night series. I talked about Defy the Night, I think, on one of my first episodes back this year to keep it fictional. It may have been actually my first book back this year. And it is a YA fantasy series. 
that talks about Tessa, who was a rebel in a kingdom who would sneak into uh, the royal kind of sector of the kingdom to steal this berry and plant that would cure a fever that was killing pretty much everybody in the kingdom. And Tessa and this kind of unnamed partner of hers would uh, would sneak in and steal this and then give it out to all of the uh, the village people who weren't able to afford it. So we kind of go through, we learn that the unnamed partner of Tessa is actually one of the princes of the kingdom, which Tessa does not know. And kind of once she finds this out, she's brought into this royal world and has to figure out if she can actually trust this prince or or not. And so there is romance, there's adventure, there's fantasy, all of the wonderful things I love. So we are now on book number three. And Tessa and Prince Korik um, have been sailing away to a kingdom nearby to try and help them with a problem that they're having in exchange for a huge, huge shipment of this plant, this flower that is known to uh, to cure this fever. And when they're on their journey, they get attacked by a rebel kind of pirate ship. And in the aftermath of this kind of shipwreck attack, Tessa and Korik are separated. So believing that Korik has perished in this shipwreck, Tessa is angry. She's heartbroken. She doesn't really know how she's going to get back to her kingdom. And she doesn't know who she can trust. So she's in kind of a group with Ryan, who is the kind of the head of this group who has brought them to this other kingdom. And she finds that she can trust him the least, but has to rely on him the most. And so he kind of gives her an option that she has to decide if she's going to take. Now, on the other side of this island that they have landed on, Prince Korik is kind of out of options. He did not perish in the shipwreck, but he is being held captive by a rebel leader named Orin Crane. And he's desperately trying to escape as well as get back to Tessa. So now he has no idea kind of what he's going to do, how he's going to escape this, and he has to try and figure that out. Now, meanwhile, back in their kingdom of Kandala, Korik's brother Harrison is on the run. He has had his throne taken away from him, and he's trying to figure out exactly what to do and how he can reunite his kingdom. And so this, I am very excited about. This is the third installment. I read the first two very, very fast. I got through them very quickly there, kind of edge of your seat, very action-packed, exciting YA fantasy adventure books. So yes, I'm really, really excited for the third one. I imagine it's going to be another very quick read that I'm going to be able to kind of get get into. And then I I look forward to other things um, that this author has written. I haven't read anything else by Bridget Kemmerer. But I know that she has a lot out, so maybe I will delve into her uh, her back catalog after after I've read this one. So that is Bridget Kemmerer, Destroy the Day. All right, let's go over to Virginia. What is your final pick, Virginia? All right, so I think this will be a good candidate for this year's like literary horror that also ends up ripping your heart out. Sounds like it's going to be one of those. So this is coming out in March from Bond Street Books by a Korean-Canadian author. And this is called The Invisible Hotel by Yi Ji Y Ham. Yi Wong was born in a bathtub like every other baby in her tiny South Korean village. The same bathtub where her mother keeps the bones of the ancestors and the family that are lost in the Korean War that never seems to end. The same bathtub where her mother washes these bones 
like every other family does in her village. Yiwon's life is kind of falling apart. She has lost her job at the convenience store. Her brother has been drafted into the army and has been sent to be stationed near the North Korean border. Her sister just had a big tragedy and her mother's health is declining, worrying about everybody in the family. And then Yiwon starts to dream about a hotel, a decrepit hotel. And in this hotel, there are infinite keys to infinite rooms, and there's someone chasing after her, and she's running and running, trying to escape from this terror. And this dream, which she thinks it was a dream, starts to invade her reality. This is a book that has been compared to Han Kang's The Vegetarian and also Yoko Ogawa's The Memory Police. It is about the aftermath of the Korean War and the intergenerational trauma. Authors Kim Fu has said that this is sort of a book that talks about how do you honor and care for our elders without reinforcing that cycle of generational trauma. And some other author mentioned how it's like how does a war play out in a person, in a family, and through generations? It's supposed to be a surreal kind of keep your lights on fever dream kind of read, which of course is my type of read. And it's also about confronting sort of that, the memory, the burden of history and the trauma of her country. So once again, if you are looking for something like devastating, which I am always looking for, please check out this Korean or Canadian author's uh, debut novel, The Invisible Hotel by Yi Ji Y. Ham. Now we are going to go over to Corrine for our last pick for the day. All right. Well, it wouldn't, again, be a Keep It Fictional episode if someone didn't cheat horribly, blatantly. And I didn't mention BTS. So, which I think I already have. So this makes it a really special twofer episode. Strangely enough, this book was kind of brought to my attention by Virginia. I had my list all kind of planned out really well. I had my five books chosen. And then she kind of sent me a link to this book, which is called Butter, which is, of course, a great BTS song. And then I kind of read what it was about. And I was like, actually, this really does fall into my wheelhouse, depending on the ending. But I remain kind of confident. This book kind of melds my love of mystery stories and my love of true crime because this is lightly based on, well, maybe not so lightly based, definitely based on a true story. Gourmet cook Monaco Kaji doesn't cook so much anymore. It's tough for her to really get hands on the right ingredients and the right tools that she needs while she is sitting pretty at the Tokyo Detention Center, convicted of serial murder of several lonely businessmen who she lured into her clutches with her delicious home cooking. Now, despite being a minor celebrity with her own nickname, she refuses to speak to anyone, not lawyers, not fans, and definitely not journalists. However, she breaks her vow of silence when a journalist, Rika Mashida, writes her a letter, not asking anything about her motivations or why she killed anyone, but asking her for her recipe for beef stew. And Rika is a little bit more like this reclusive murderer than maybe she'd like to admit. She is a journalist. She is the only woman at her news office. She works late. She's underappreciated. And usually she only has enough time to really cook ramen for herself. And 
strangely enough, a friendship strikes between these two women, one of them behind bars, one of them desperately trying to turn this conversation about cuisine into a deeper friendship that she can exploit to get a foot up in the world. However, as they write more, her letters become a kind of masterclass in gourmet cooking and maybe a little bit more than food. Because for every dish that Rika cooks, she finds she is the one being changed. With every delicious morsel that she imbibes, she can feel her body and her mind changing. She feels something inside of her shift until she begins to understand Monaco Kaji in ways that perhaps no other person can. So this story, Butter by Asako Yuzuki, translated by Holly Barton, who is another great translator, is definitely based on the story, again, I hate giving nicknames, but on the Konkatsu killer, Kane Kajima, who is accused, allegedly, probably definitely convicted of killing four men, essentially kind of like a lonely hearts killer. So luring these lonely gentlemen and then and doing things. So I feel like this book has like the potential to be very much in the vein of Sayaka Murata, like convenience store woman or um, Diary of a Void in that it's a very interesting poke at society and feminism and how society treats women. I think it's going to be a wild ride. I just really, really hope. And Virginia, like blink twice if you've read this and you know that it doesn't end in cannibalism. I am just... <laughs> really hoping. I feel like this could be my favorite book of the year, but if it ends in cannibalism, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I hope it's just like metaphorically changing her palate, not like seeking that most delicious and forbidden white meat. Yeah. So that is, that is my last, that's my last pick. It's a pick with a bunch of caveats and fingers crossed, but I, I've got high hopes. I've got really high hopes. I was going to say, Kareem, we will all cross our fingers for you. And hope and pray that maybe it does not. Well, I'll report back. Or it might be a book for me instead. So, you know, like I'll, I'll, I got a galley. So I'll read that and I will let you know or not. Well, until we are able to report back on, on that book, I hope that you have all enjoyed listening to our most anticipated picks uh, for the first four months of 2024. And if you have any anticipated picks, we would love to hear about them. So let us know in the comments or send us an email. We would love to hear about what you are looking forward to reading at the beginning of this year. And that is all we have for us today. So thank you so much from all of us here at the Port Moody Public Library and the Keep It Fictional podcast. Happy reading, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.